A long, long time ago, I sat where you sit. I haven't always been a pastor. When Jenny and I were first married and I was in graduate school, we moved to Kentucky from Chicago and we looked for a church. And I was one of those pernicious, there's a P word, Isaiah, pernicious people that would call a pastor ahead of time. And I had some pre-interview questions, about four or five of them. And based upon his answers, that would determine whether that church was worth visiting the following Sunday. Well, after a few months of searching, we found a winner, Church of the Savior, which is on the north side of the county. It's actually our mother congregation. We're a daughter church of Church of the Savior. Um, in fact, today, tonight, they're celebrating their 25th anniversary. Uh, but we went Sunday morning, and because I was a Baptist and because they had a Sunday evening service, we went Sunday night, too. And we did that for three months, and then Pastor Elgin called us into his office one Sunday evening and sat us down across from his desk, and he asked us to do something. There was this lady teaching the second and third grade Sunday school class, and she was uber, uber pregnant and, as in his words, about to pop. Would you, Max and Jenny, teach that class for the remaining two months of the semester. Now, you need to know that I had many reasons why this was a bad idea. One, we were new to the church. We could have been terrorists or Satanists or Mormons. He would have no idea. Secondly, I did not like kids. Thirdly, Thirdly, I was taking a full load in graduate school. Thank you very much. I was busy, and my wife was working. Did I mention that I didn't like kids? Oh, yes, I did. But nevertheless, we agreed to teach that class. Has that ever happened to you? Has someone asked you to join the PTO or coach your son's team or greet at church on Sunday morning, and all of a sudden you find yourself in this role? Do you know how most churches recruit people in ministry? Do you know how most churches do it? Most churches either do, uh, the first uh, method that they employ is mass appeals. Mass appeals that works this way. Hi, everyone. I'm Christy Cute, your nursery coordinator. We just love having all your babies, and the Lord has just blessed our congregation with so many. We have 15 slots that we need to fill in order to lovingly care for these babies. Would you please consider serving in the nursery? And then Christy Cute sits down. I don't know about you, but I was not born to be a slot filler. You know, when I popped out, when I was like, God, why am I here? What's the meaning of the universe? To fill a slot is something that never comes to my mind. I'm born to fill a slot. <laughs> Hallelujah. Okay? The other way that churches typically do it is guilt. And guilt works this way. The church leadership sets the pastor down and says, Pastor, you need to preach on service. So the pastor gets up there and he does some big thing on, you know, Jesus came not to serve, not to be served, but to serve. And if you're not serving, you're not like Jesus. In fact, you probably don't even care. You may not even be saved. And you're like, I'm not even saved. I'll greet people, pastor. I want to go to heaven. Okay? I don't like either approach. I don't like either of them. Although I do like personally asking people. I like that one. Um, but at Generations, we try to avoid mass appeals and guilt. Um, 
So how do we emphasize service here? Two words, strategic service, not random, not generic, not blind service, but strategic service, strategic as in necessary, critical, part of an overall plan, essential, strategic service. And that's what I want to wade into today with you guys. Strategic service actually requires two things. It requires church leadership to identify what's needed most, and it requires church members to be willing to serve there temporarily while they just pray, have conversations, and discover how they're hardwired so that they can serve somewhere permanently. Strategic service is not new. In fact, it's a concept embraced by the earliest group of Christians. And today, we're going to be in the book of Acts, Acts chapter 6. Acts is this story of what happened after Jesus left. Jesus died on a cross, and then he surprised everybody by coming back to life. Ah, I'm back. And then, after spending time with his friends and followers, he went to heaven. And Acts is what happened after he left. Acts chapter 6 records the church's first big problem. And oh, what a doozy was it. Acts chapter 6, verse 1. Here's the problem. I'll let let Luke describe it for you. But as the believers rapidly multiplied, there were rumblings of discontent. Brings back Baptist days. The Greek-speaking believers complained about the Hebrew-speaking believers saying that their widows were being discriminated against in the daily distribution of food. Here's the problem. The church has two different ethnic groups that make up the church. Hebrew-speaking Jews, and the Hebrew-speaking Jews are people who've lived there their whole lives. They've got aunts and uncles and cousins and grandpas and grandmas all living in the area. The Greek-speaking Jews are Jews that have moved into the area. They're transplants. Their families live in New York, and they don't have anybody in the area, and they're Greek speakers. And apparently, the church is giving away food every day to widows. The Hebrew widows, Hebrew-speaking widows, are getting their food, but the Greek-speaking widows are not. You have all the ingredients for church disaster, unmet needs, complaining. It just, it, it cries out. Let's split the church and have the Hebrew-speaking church and the Greek-speaking church. Yes, okay. Well, let's, let's look at what happens next. So, so the 12 called a meeting of all the believers. They said, we apostles should spend our time teaching the word of God, not running a food program. And so, brothers, select seven men who are well-respected and full of the spirit and wisdom, and we'll give them this responsibility. And then we can spend our time in prayer and teaching the word. He goes on. Everyone liked this idea, and they chose the following. Stephen, Philip, Procurus, Nicanor, Timon, Parmenas, and Nicholas of Antioch. These seven were presented to the apostles who prayed for them as they laid their hands on them. So what did they do to to solve this problem? There's been an oversight. Some people's feelings have been hurt. Some needs have gone unmet. There's an obvious ministry need that's going uncovered. What do they do? They called a meeting, right? And Peter stood up and he says, hi, um, yeah, we've got this problem, like the Greek-speaking widows aren't getting their food, so could I, we need seven people, could, you know, any seven, really, could you just, is that what they did? No! Leaders decided how to solve the problem, they mapped something out, and they chose seven people that were qualified and had qualities. 
Interestingly, these seven guys had Greek names. Listen to them again. Stephen, Philip, Procurus, Nicanor, Timon, Parmenas, and Nicholas. Those are Greek names. You think these Greek-speaking guys are going to be sympathetic to the Greek-speaking widows who are getting left out? You think maybe that they might even know who some of these ladies are? I think there's more than just a coincidence. Okay? Can I ask you a question? Who ultimately made the decision about what to do and how to do it? Was it the congregation or the leaders? It was the leaders. This smacks against us Americans. We're accustomed to, you know, let's have a vote, let's have a say, let's have a big discussion. Uh, But it's also obvious from this passage that the leaders didn't do something that everybody went, oh, that stinks, you stink, this decision stinks, because notice the phrase, everyone liked this idea. In other words, there was consensus of, yep, that's what we ought to do, all right? Good leadership does that, all right? Now, so they, they choose the seven men. The seven men are deployed, and, and the Greek-speaking widows are getting their food, and you would think that this is how the story ends. And the widows were fed, and they all lived happily ever after. Amen. Wouldn't that be a good end to the story? That's not how it ends. Let's look at verse 7. So, so God's message continued to what? Spread. The number of believers greatly increased in Jerusalem, and many of the Jewish priests were converted too. Because this critical need was met, the church's mission moved forward. Because this critical need was met, the gospel was advanced. There's a connection. When there are unmet needs in the church and there's complaining, the gospel is hindered. When there's unmet needs and unmet organizational ministry needs in the church, the mission of the church is hindered. There's a connection. I want to suggest to you this morning that at Generations Community Church, there are no non-critical roles. There aren't. I know there are a lot of churches out there in America right now who have what I call the ministry smorgasbord. Thank you for coming to First Church. What would you like today? Would you like a men's ministry with that? We have, uh, we have uh, scuba divers, and they scuba dive every year off of Florida. It's the scuba diving for Jesus ministry. Does that sound appealing to you? We also have the ministry for one-armed people. Do you have one arm? Oh, there's other people who have one arms. We have a one-armed ministry for one-armed people. And on and on it goes. At Generations, we don't have a lot of sideways energy. There's not a lot of non-critical parts. I mean, think about it for a minute. What if we just stop singing on Sundays? See, of all the churches in Jessamine County, we know what that's like because we had a Sunday service for a whole year without singing. We know. Guess what? It's hard. It's hard to plan. It's hard to execute. It's just hard all the way around. And when Chad Gentry left, James Ballard said, you know what? Music isn't my primary thing. That's not my primary gift from God, but there's a need. I'll step in. I mean, he lived out this Acts 6 passage right here. What if we all showed up one Sunday and there was no preschool or nursery? And that, on that particular Sunday, we had some guests who came in with their kids. And it was a you know, God-leveraging moment. And the message and music was just right on. And only they're like, Mommy, I have to pee. I have to pee. I have to pee. You know, I'm bored. What are, you know, is it going to work, right? No, that's what happens. <laughs> kids do that. They really do. What if next Sunday we all showed up and, th- and there was no equipment, no chairs, no sound system? How would kid stuff come off? I mean, come on, there's, 
a lot of churches have all this sideways energy. At Generations, we don't. It's all critical. And if it's left undone, it's going to hinder the gospel from advancing. It's going to hinder the mission of the church from going forward. So here's where the rubber hits the road. And I want to talk to a couple of different groups of you in the, in the congregation today. If, if Generations is your home, if when you're out and about and somebody says, where do you go to church? Never mind the fact that I hate that question. But they ask it and you say, oh, well, I go to Generations. That's my church. And that's you. You identify but you're not really deployed anywhere, I want you to consider over the next several months serving somewhere temporarily. Ante up, commit, and put your hand to the plow somewhere inside Team Generations. And when you do that, when you sit down with that ministry leader head, what we'll do is we'll set an end date. Okay, this is for three months, so you're going to end this term of service on. We're also going to give you some tools and we're going to have some conversations so that we can help you figure out how you're hardwired, what God's call in your life is, and where you best fit, because everybody fits somewhere. And if you're old or if you're young, you have this mistaken idea. If you're a teenager or if you're really old, those two groups of people tend to think, well, I'm just not really usable, baloney. The Bible says God uses everybody, everybody. doesn't matter if you're too young or too old. God doesn't see things that way. He looks at the heart. He looks at the inside. Um, and so uh, my challenge is real simple. Uh, don't sit, don't wait. If you're in that group and you're not deployed somewhere, step in. And I understand and I know that there are times and seasons when you take a step back, and those are okay and appropriate. But if you look back at the last year, two years, three years, and there's not much, I would say to you it's time to step up and step in. Now I want to talk for those of you that are serving, and maybe you have more than one role. In fact, you've got several roles. You're looking at a role you can give away. Hey, anybody want this role, okay? I want to talk to you for a moment, all right? If you have a role or if you have several roles, you know what I want? I want you to own it. I want you to work it. I want you to come prayed up expecting that God is going to use it and going to use you because you know what? He is. He is at work. He's been drawing people here. He's been using you to impact others. God is at work. Own it. Work it. And come prayed up expecting that God's going to use it and use you. Um, over the past few years, I, Jenny and I have actually received wedding invitations from the kids in that second and third grade Sunday school class. That frosts me for a couple of reasons. One, I'm not that old. And two, I would have thought that it was no big deal. And I would have been wrong. They friend me on Facebook and they want to know, I mean, this is second, third grade Sunday school class. We just did it for like three years or something like that, which is a little beyond third grade because two months turned into like several years. But we didn't mind. Um, let me tell you about a few people. I want to highlight a few people this morning because... Uh, by seeing how God uses them, I think you'll see how God can use you and is using you and wants to use you. Uh, Mike Lesage, I know a lot of you know him as Grandpa Spike. You may not know this, but he hates memorizing lines. He is torn up to no end. Anytime he's on stage, he is fretting and fuming and <gasps> panic and everything else. And yet, he owns that, doesn't he? And he, it's not just on stage. He's done things to reach out to individual kids in our church there's been all kinds of different th Grandpa Spike moments, okay? Uh, he's letting God use him in that role. Are you going to tell me that's no big deal? Or Vonnie Pridemore, who's over in the preschool. Vonnie, 
you would, it would be easy to go, well, you know, she's that little stick lady, okay? Um, and she's, hey, I'm just telling the truth, okay? And she's over in, she's over in the preschool, and my daughter's in there. My daughter calls my mother Nana. That's what my kids call my mother is Nana. I noticed two weeks ago that all Sunday, all day long, Nana was over and Maddie kept calling my mother Gaga, which is what she calls Vani. I don't think that's a coincidence. I don't think that's a confused four-year-old. I think there's some gravitational pull in that relationship. And I know it because I know how she's been interacting with my own daughter. Are you going to tell me that's no big deal? Or... This last week, I sat down with someone, and they told me uh, a story about what happened to them one Sunday in one week. They said, you know, I was having a rough week. I was having a rough day, and I came into church, and I, uh, Melinda Wise happened to cross me, and so I just let Melinda in on a little snippet of my life, went, you know, here it is. Oh, it's awful. And Melinda said, well, that's kind of crappy. I'm sorry, and walked away, and I thought, well, you don't care. Nobody in this church cares. Stink, stink, stink. And then two days later, I get a card in the mail. And it says, hey, I just can't get you off my mind. And I want you to know that I have been thinking of you and I have been praying for you. And I know God's going to come through. Are you going to tell me that's not important? (laughs) Duh, it's very important. On any given day, someone's relationship hangs in the balance. On any given day... You've invited people here. I've invited people here. On a day when the people that you've been working on and loving and serving, they show up, you're on high alert mode, aren't you? You're wanting to know, are, is, are people friendly? Is the music good? Max, you're not pre- you want to know what I'm preaching on, that I don't mess it up for you. And I understand it because I invite people and they've come and I feel the same weight that you feel in those moments. That's any given Sunday. And I know at Generations, because of our size, we tend to get visitors and guests in clumps. It's not an every Sunday thing. They come in seasons. But God's bringing them here. And there are heaven big issues that are at stake in those moments and on those Sundays. So uh, I want you to know that what happens in this building on Sunday mornings is critical. It's strategic. What you do in the name of Jesus outside of this building is important. It's critical. And if we're not meeting the needs, if we're not deployed the way God wants us to, guess what? The gospel is not advanced and the mission of the church makes no progress. So those are my two words this morning. And in a nutshell, that is strategic service.